Welcome to You Are Not A Goat. If you want to follow your passion and do what you love, this is the podcast for you. Without further ado, here's your host, Slimy Zions. Hello, welcome to another episode of You Are Not A Goat. My name is Shlomi Zions and I'm your host. Welcome back to the show. This week we have a very important episode. I'm actually going to call it an emergency episode. Not that this episode was recorded in an emergency, but I feel like people should listen to it like it's an emergency. Listen to the episode as soon as you can. Very important episode to listen to. And let me tell you why. Two days ago there was a horrific shooting in Jersey City, New Jersey, where multiple Jewish people were killed just for the fact that they were Jewish by terrorists and now there's a lot of talk about Jewish people protecting their communities, defending themselves, possibly with guns. So I bring you this week a man named Yonatan Stern. He is a former IDF Israeli army sharpshooter and he has started a Israeli style training school in the United States for people, Jewish people technically, mostly Jewish people, who come to learn how to use and operate firearms safely with Israeli tactical training. Now, it's important to note that very often in the aftermath of shootings, uh, the media talks about, you know, it's time to just grieve, time for silence, time to remember. It's not a time to politicize things. Many people don't like to get into the conversation of guns, no guns. Right, and the, and the few days after shooting, people just want to process what happened. So therefore, I'd like to say, this may be a little bit of a controversial interview. That's fine. I allow everybody to speak on my program. And um, we're just trying to bring ideas out there. If you feel one way or another way, you're entitled to your opinion. And so is the guest on my program. Another thing to note is that because, as I mentioned... It's a bit of a political issue right now in the aftermath of the shooting. I've actually known Jonathan Stern for a year and a half now. And we've been planning to do this interview for a couple of weeks. We actually settled on today. A couple of weeks ago, we decided that we're going to do it today. And it just so happens to be that today is two days after the shooting. So this is not coming from a place of trying to be political or trying to push an agenda. This interview was scheduled to be this week's podcast, and it just so happens to be there was a shooting, unfortunately. Therefore, perhaps it's very appropriate to have this interview this week. So without further ado, I present to you Jonathan Stern, founder and owner of Cherev Gidon, which is the U.S.-Israeli Tactical Training Academy. Hey, Jonathan. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for coming on. So for those of the listeners who do not know this, I met Jonathan a little over a year ago uh, when he graciously invited me to attend one of his seminars. Can we call it a seminar or is it a... Seminar is a good word for it. Training course. Um, either or. Right. Okay. So this took place in Pennsylvania. Very interesting. Very informative. I walked in knowing almost nothing about guns or self-protection, and I walked out knowing certainly a ton more than I knew before. Um, so, Jonathan, can you tell us a little bit about what you do and how you got involved in this? 
Sure. So I'm the director of Cherev Gidon Israeli Tactical Training Academy in Honesdale, Pennsylvania. Uh, and what we do at Cherev Gidon is we provide Israeli combat shooting skills to American civilians, specifically to American Jews. Um, and the goal is to get those communities prepared and ready and able to defend themselves against the very intense anti-Semitic violent threats that are facing Jews in America today. And how I got into it, um, well, it's very interesting, really. I grew up in Kiryat Arba, uh, which is next to Hebron, Al-Halil, as they say in Arabic. And, so for uh, those of those who don't know, that's uh, in Israel? Yeah, that's in Israel. Um, it's the uh, second most important city to Jews in the world, Hebron, the holy city where uh, the patriarchs, uh, Abram, Isaac, and uh, Jacob are, are buried. Well, not Jacob, uh, not, uh, not uh, Joseph, I'm sorry. Joseph is not buried there, but all the other patriarchs are, uh, are buried there. Right. And uh, most of the matriarchs, except for Rachel as well. Um, and anyhow, I grew up there. I served in the IDF during the Second Intifada. I was in the Israeli police as well as a volunteer. And uh, had a lot of experience, uh, unfortunately, for whatever, uh, for better or for worse, but uh, unfortunately in, um, in combat and uh, the, the issue of, uh, you know, firearms use. And um, after the military, I went to yeshiva, and then I went to uh, the IDC Herzliya to study counterterrorism. And that really became sort of my, my field, my focus, if you will. And uh, I moved to America in 2007, and uh, I saw really the the need for uh, Israeli defensive firearms training skills in America, even even at that time, um, because I saw the threats to Jews, uh, the violence, anti-Semitism, which was boiling up at the time, but didn't actually spill out yet the way we see it happening today. And um, I realized that there is a uh, certainly a demand for this, and there's a need to provide these types of skills that we have as Israeli uh, soldiers as Israeli veterans um, to the American Jewish population uh, because they so desperately need these things. And uh, also that there is a Second Amendment in America. There's a lot of guns here. But unfortunately, there's also not a lot of training, which is not a very good combination because when you have people who are armed and don't really know how to use those weapons safely, that leads, unfortunately, to a lot of accidental shootings and uh, injuries and deaths. Right. And we have in Israel, we have a lot of professionalism. There's not a lot of private gun ownership, but there is a lot of uh, highly skilled professionals who are very well trained in firearms. And uh, the rate of accidents there is very, very low because of that. So I realize that if we take that Israeli knowledge, the know-how, and bring it to the American public here where we have a Second Amendment, we're going to be able to create a, a wonderful combination where Jews will be able to learn to protect themselves and have the weapons with which to defend themselves. And we're going to be able to secure those communities for the time that I I foresaw was going to occur, like we're seeing now, where you have this uh, wave of terrible, violent anti-Semitism where Jews are being shot right and left. Um, And so that's kind of how it came together. And I put together my training facility, um, got all the kinds of weapons that uh, we use in Israel, the same types of firearms that we use because we, we have the tactics and we had to have the weapons and the gear. And I got the instructors. I hired instructors who are also ex-IDF veterans just like me and um, started training people. And it, uh, it started off well 
but it, it became really, really big and really successful, unfortunately, I have to say, after Pittsburgh. Uh, that's when people started to realize that you know, shooting guns is not just a sport, it's not just something you do for fun, but it's something which is necessary to save your life and keep your, you and your family and your community safe. And it's only been getting more and more busy since then, and there's been more and more demand. And you know, right now, for better or for worse, again, we're Cherev Gidon is a, a very popular uh, place for people to come and train. Um, and again, not because they just want to have fun shooting guns, but because Jews in America today are starting to realize that uh, we have no choice but to get armed and train to defend ourselves. Right now. It's interesting. Um, actually, when we met last year, it was October 14th of 2018. So I attended one of your training courses. And I had been telling people legitimately for years that I think uh, Jews, specifically Orthodox Jews, are a little bit, can we say, maybe unprepared. Like they, they haven't been taking these threats as seriously as they should have. Um, unfortunately, many of our institutions... And I don't want to go too much into detail, are not very secure. And um, this is a big problem. So I've been talking about this for a long time. I found out about you, reached out to you, you invited me to the course. Exactly one week later, we had the Tree of Life shooting in Pittsburgh. Six months later to the day, there was the shooting at Chabad of Poway in California. And now about eight months later, we have uh, just two days, yesterday or two days ago, there was the unfortunate shooting in Jersey City, where a bunch of Orthodox Jews were targeted. Thank God, there. You know, it could have been a lot worse because, according to the to the law enforcement right now, the shooters had plans to attack a school next door to the grocery that they attacked. But uh, we did lose a couple of our community members, and that's a very sad thing. So, how did you foresee this? What did you feel in the air when you started this? You know, how many years ago? Well, I saw. First of all, uh, a buildup of, of rhetoric in, in Jew hatred, um, which we hadn't seen in America or in the world in general for a very long time. You know, we had a, a nice long run since World War II, really, where open anti-Semitism just wasn't cool. Um, but the Holocaust has been pretty much forgotten, unfortunately, by many people, and uh, that's no longer true. And I saw, you know, the the violent hatred boiling up from a lot of different directions online, mm -hmm. you know, on the internet and uh, in a lot of places. And I also saw how, as you mentioned, how grossly unprepared so many Jewish communities in America were and still are. And uh, how, I mean, I, as a security professional, I'm constantly looking for vulnerabilities. You know, I'm always thinking, I say, if you want to beat your enemy, if you want to understand your enemy, you have to think like your enemy. So I'm always trying to think, if I was somebody that wanted to target a Jewish community, how would I do it? And I see the synagogues and I see how vulnerable they are, and, and the Jewish communities in general, and, and the lack, the unimaginable lack of security, um, which I'm not going to go into too much detail for obvious reasons. But uh, I saw that this is going to lead to a terrible combination here, the, the hatred which is building up among so many sectors within the American population, combined with the complete lack of preparedness of the communities, is a really terrible combination. And also just this lackadaisical attitude among the Jewish community, because things have been so good in America for so long that uh, people just can't stomach the idea that they could be any other way. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it seemed obvious to me that things were going to start to change. I didn't know exactly when, I didn't know exactly where, 
but I knew that at some point they would change, and as we can see now, they have. Yeah, it's very unfortunate. But I imagine uh, this, you know, this string of shootings that has been happening is bringing you a lot of business. Who are your customers, and what are they coming to learn? Are they already gun owners, or they have they not yet tried firearms? Tell me a little bit about that, please. Right. So that's a great question. So, you know, as you saw a little bit when you came off of your course, it's uh, it's mostly Jews from the greater New York area from the tri-state area, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and Pennsylvania as well. Um, I would say the majority of them are not yet gun owners. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe 25% to 30% are, okay. but most of them are not, but they want to for a long time. Um, they've wanted to. When I say a long time, I mean maybe since Pittsburgh. <laughs> a few of them since before that, but right. mostly since Pittsburgh. Um, and they've wanted to get into, uh, you know, get their carry permit, you know, carry a firearm to synagogue and wherever else they go and be able to protect their, their community, their families. Um, and uh, they want to learn. They want to, you know, get the skills to be able to do that effectively. Um, and they come from a variety of backgrounds. We have a lot of people who are uh, modern Orthodox from Teaneck, New Jersey, or the Five Towns, or Riverdale. Mm-hmm. And then we have a lot of uh, Haredi Jews as well who come from uh, from Brooklyn, Borough Park, uh, from Flatbush, from Muncie, you know, Rockland County, the general area. And um, there's also some non-Jews who come as well who are interested in Israeli tactical skills, which are recognized as among the best in the world for defensive purposes. Right. But uh, what everybody has in common is they all want to learn how to defend themselves with firearms because at the end of the day, it's our right as Americans. We have a Second Amendment. We have the right to, to bear arms and to, and to defend ourselves. And uh, they all see the writing on the wall that America is becoming a more and more dangerous place and we have to be able to defend ourselves. And that's, uh, that's their goal. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I want to talk to you a little bit about the Second Amendment because here are my thoughts on this. Second Amendment is a very controversial issue right now, a very hot topic. Every time there's a shooting, you know, the media goes nuts. Right. But the Second Amendment, my understanding of it, was created by the Founding Fathers so that there could never be a time when a government went rogue and tyranny reigned. So if the government goes bad, it's no longer doing the will of the people. What the Founding Fathers had in mind is that the the Republic, the people should rise up with arms, get rid of the government, and start again. It's a great concept. Thank God it hasn't happened yet. It's happened in other countries where governments have... uh, gone rogue, and, and many times, unfortunately, the citizens have no way to defend themselves. Right. My question to you is, one of the side effects of having a Second Amendment, where basically every single citizen is guaranteed a right to own a gun, unless they're a convicted felon or something like that, that one of the side effects is that there are hundreds of millions of guns in the country, on the streets, and we do see a, a larger, uh, higher number, I believe, of gun violence in the United States than in other places. Many right. people would say that's a small price to pay compared to tyranny. But what do you think? Well, I would agree with that sentiment. I mean, if we look at uh, what happened, let's say, for example, in Venezuela, where you have an out-of-control, tyrannical, dictatorial, socialist regime which is uh, basically holding onto control by force and through illegal means and is usurping the, the rights of the people and uh, 
taking over against the rule of law, and the people have been disarmed, and they have no way to resist. Um, and, and, you know, you have mass starvation, and the entire country has collapsed. I mean, if you look at that example, that's what hypothetically could be in America if we didn't have the Second Amendment. Would we prefer to live in a place like that, where millions of people are fleeing as refugees? You know, or look people, are, people are getting killed by the government, and people are also dying of starvation. All together, yeah, yeah. That, and, and that very often happens in, in tyrannical regimes, you know, yeah. the, the combination. The, uh, total economic collapse and also, uh, you know, no personal freedom and people being rounded up and, and jailed and put into concentration camps, work camps, gulags. I, mean, I don't if you know look if that's happening uh, in Venezuela, but there are other countries like that. Well, they, uh, I don't know about gulags, but I mean, there's certainly tremendous repression and uh, people are dying of preventable diseases because they don't have medications. There's people that are starving, children that are malnourished. I mean, the poverty is out of control. It's, it's, it's an insane situation and the people can't resist because uh, they don't have the right to bear arms. If they had the right to bear arms, if it was a well-armed population like we are here in America, they could resist and overthrow the government. And um, so, yeah, like you said, we haven't had a situation like that occur here in America yet, thank God. Um, but there's no saying that hypothetically at some time in the future, it couldn't. If you look at some of these radical movements that exist in America today, such as Antifa and Black Lives Matter, uh, I mean, it's entirely possible that these people might try to do a takeover of the government, uh, either by election or by anti-democratic violent means. And if, if something like that would happen, that's where we'd need the Second Amendment to, to keep our republic free and keep... Uh, keep ourselves free from this kind of tyrannical rule that we have seen uh, time and time again in other countries. And um, we don't want to be like a, a Hong Kong here, where you have a, a, a communist regime which is trying to uh, take away our, our rights and uh, limit our freedoms and uh, walk all over us. And so, yes, there is a certain price to pay for freedom. Um, and I think we can do better. I think that... Uh, there's a lot of people that, that really shouldn't have guns, um, and I think that uh, there needs to be more training. I think people need to be more responsible. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people who are not trained that uh, have guns and they misuse them. Um, but at the end of the day, we're much better off here with the Second Amendment than anywhere else in the world without it. Because when people want to do violence, they're going to do violence one way or the other. If you look at Britain, for example, there's all the time terror attacks there and violence and, and, you know, mayhem, uh, and it's not committed really with guns, because as you mentioned, you know, there's, there's a lot less guns in there than they are here. But um, at the end of the day, who cares if people are getting killed by bombings or stabbings or car ramming attacks? If, if people want to do harm to others, they're going to do it. Uh, but having the Second Amendment uh, empowers the, the weak, empowers the, the good guys to stand up against the, the bad guys. And uh, that's why it's so important, especially for us as Jews, with our experience being a historically persecuted minority in all the diasporas where we've been, whether that's Spain, whether it's Poland, Russia, Germany, uh, you know, you name it, we should know more than anyone else how important it is for our own protection to be able to defend ourselves. So the Second Amendment is something which we can never give up on. We can never compromise on. Okay, so... Now that you've said that, I want to ask you this. Uh, as you know, there are between 5 and 6 million Jews in the United States, and right. a large, large number of them, specifically Orthodox Jews, but even non-Orthodox, all, all kind of Jews, uh, find themselves living in states like 
New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, where in many of these places, for example, New York City is almost impossible to own any kind of firearm. New Jersey is impossible to carry a firearm. Uh, but New York State does allow it for people who live upstate. Um, I, I believe Connecticut is pretty hard too. What's the solution for these people? Like, how do you protect your synagogue without having to hire armed security? If you want to just use your Second Amendment right, what do you do if you live in one of these states? Well, the answer, very simply, is to leave. You know, uh, a lot of people, when I say that, react with, well, we have a good job here, my kids are in school, we have a nice house. Mm-hmm. And my answer to them is very simple. What could be more important than your personal safety? What could be more important than your family's safety? Because these Jews that were killed yesterday in that supermarket in New Jersey, they're dead now. Had they moved a year ago or even a month ago to another state where they could have had a firearm, they'd be alive. And even if that meant giving up a good job and taking a job that maybe wasn't exactly what they wanted or moving their kids from the perfect school to another school that's not exactly what they wanted or selling your house and buying another house somewhere else, I know it's hard to move. I know it's not easy to relocate yourself and your family. But at the end of the day, there is no price that you can possibly put on freedom and on safety. And your family's safety and your community's safety, that's that's paramount. That's above all else. So the answer is very simple. These people shouldn't live in those places. If you live in a place like New York City or New Jersey where the government, uh, you know, these, these radical left-wing governments there, which don't believe in personal freedom, deny you the ability to protect yourself as a Jew, even though these criminals, these terrorists are heavily armed because they don't care about the laws and they're going to have assault rifles and they're going to have explosives, um, you're at a disadvantage there if you're obeying the law. And to break the law is not going to help because you're just going to end up in jail. So the only option is to move. There are so many places in this country where we have, you know, the, the true interpretation of the Second Amendment, where the average citizen can own a firearm, carry a firearm, and uh, it's actually only a tiny amount of places where you can't. So these people should start looking for uh, places to relocate to. You know, there's a lot of states, if they want to stay close to these places, New York, New Jersey, they can look into Pennsylvania, you know, where we're located. It's a great state. It's right next door. And uh, there's a large Jewish community in a lot of places in Philadelphia and Scranton and Pittsburgh. Um, and there's good schools, there's good jobs, better quality of living, the cost of living's cheaper. And uh, they should start moving as soon as possible. Don't wait. They should just start packing up immediately. Realize that this is a matter of, of as we say, pikuach nefesh, of saving, saving lives. And uh, not think about what the costs are going to be, because at the end of the day, the, the benefits you'll reap will be so much, so much more. Right now, have you seen the video of the shooting from uh, Jersey City? I've seen videos of the police moving in in formation after the fact and uh, hearing gunshots in the background, but I haven't seen any specific video of the actual shooting itself. Okay, because there's a video that was released a couple hours ago. Uh, it looks like it was from one of the, the cameras on the street. And it shows a van pulling up in front of the supermarket and the shooters running in. It happened very quickly. Uh, You mentioned earlier that if those people had had guns, they would still be alive. Do you think that's fair to say or perhaps, you know, they could have been alive? Because it it happens very, very quickly. It's not always a possibility to save it, you know, save the day. As you know, in in Texas a couple months ago, there was a shooting in a Walmart. Um, Texas is a good state for the Second Amendment, but unfortunately nobody stopped the shooter. And he was able to kill like 20 people. 
Right. So that's a great point you make. Um, what I want to emphasize is the fact that you live in a free state doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to choose to express the rights that you have. You know, it's just like a lot of us, we have the right to free speech, but many of us choose not to express that right. We, we choose not to necessarily, let's say, go out and express political speech, uh, but we still have the right to do so. A lot of people live in those states, and they choose not to, to bear arms, which is really sad and very unfortunate. A great example would be Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is a, Pennsylvania is a free state, and all those people in there had the right to get carry permits, and uh, they chose not to, and unfortunately, they were victims. So, you know, if you're going to make the same mistake in, in the state you're going to go to, uh, that, you know, you're, you're not going to have a firearm, whereas where you're coming from is where you're by, by law not allowed to, it's not going to give you any sort of an advantage. Um, but then again, even if people are armed, obviously, without training, you're not necessarily going to be effective. You need to be trained. And even people who are trained, you know, if, you're, if there's the element of surprise and, and you're, you're outgunned, there's no guarantee that you're going to be able to, to win. You know, uh, there's a lot of factors, there's a lot of variables in every situation, but at least you'll have a fighting chance. If you have a firearm, there's other people in there that have a firearm and you're trained and they're coming in with AR-15s and you have your Glock, you've got a good shot to, to be able to, to neutralize them. You've got at least a fighting chance, but it, where, where they were, they had no fighting chance. They were totally vulnerable. They were sitting ducks, just like the Jews were in Germany and in, and in Poland during the Holocaust. And that is absolutely unacceptable as far as I'm concerned. And that's why Jews need to be in places where they're not going to be sitting ducks. And they have to have the training, the kind of training that we provide them. And the combination of that training and having a firearm on you at all times, hopefully will we'll mitigate these things and, and at least create, uh, create a situation where the enemy knows that we are, uh, we're strong, we're protected, we're prepared. And that in and of itself will serve as a deterrent because these guys carried out their attack. They weren't afraid. They knew that these Jews were unarmed because the Jews, they, they obey the law. These guys, these criminals, these, these violent, you know, haters, these terrorists, they couldn't care less about the law. So they're, they're breaking one law, they'll break another. And uh, that, those laws empower the enemy to kill Jews. Those criminal laws, I should say. Unconstitutional and criminal laws. Um, so to answer your question, there's no guarantee of any outcomes, but one must do our due diligence to, uh, you know, shift the balance of power in our direction. I understand. Okay. So my next question is this. Do you see any change coming? And this is a two-part question. Uh, number one, in the Jewish community, do you think people are waking up because there was already Pittsburgh, that should have been enough. Then Poway happened, that should have been enough. And now this was allowed to happen. Um, I'm not putting anybody at fault. Obviously, you know, there's a certain feeling of safety in America in general. People just feel safe. You don't see these things all the time. But unfortunately, terrible people got to commit a terrible crime. And we are feeling the aftermath of that. So do you think Jews are going to wake up and start taking their safety seriously? And the, the second part of this question is, do you think the government will start will change anything in these states to allow Jews to defend themselves? Like I know in, in, in New Jersey, it's almost impossible to get a carry permit unless you have a very specific reason why your life is in danger. It might be that at this point in time, saying I'm openly Jewish means that I'm in specific danger. Right. So I'm going to answer your second question first. Okay. So in terms of do I think that the government's going to change anything in terms of the gun laws. So first of all, we have in America, we're in a federal system. We have uh, federal law and we have state law. 
So on a federal level, I believe we might have some serious positive improvement because we, we have Trump, who is such a wonderful friend of the Jewish people and is doing everything he can to protect us. Mm-hmm. And also the Supreme Court now, with its new Republican majority, is going to be in favor of the Jews and in favor of um, loosening gun regulation and, and making it easier for us to be able to protect ourselves. But then on the local level, on the state level, these radical left-wing states and cities, such as New Jersey and New York City, they're only going to go crazier and crazier there. Mark my words, they're going to blame guns and gun rights for these terror attacks. They're going to say, oh, had we had more gun restrictions and less guns on the street, this wouldn't have happened. They, they use these, these, these sick propaganda to try to ban guns. So they're going to, of course, do this, just like uh, New York State did with Cuomo uh, after you know, the horrible shooting in Sandy Hook, uh, Connecticut, which wasn't even New York, he used that as an excuse to ban a whole variety of, uh, of popular semi-automatic rifles in, right. uh, in New York State. The safe act, the unsafe act, you should, we should call it. Um, but yeah, they're definitely going to try to use this to further restrict gun, gun rights, because the gun rights in places like New Jersey and New York City are only going from bad to worse. So, no, they're not going to do anything to uh, loosen the gun laws to make it easier for Jews. Uh, they're going to do the opposite. They're going to try to take more and more guns off the streets, meaning disarming the law-abiding citizens. Uh, and that's only going to further embolden and empower the criminals and the terrorists who couldn't care less for the, the laws anyway, and are going to obtain guns uh, one way or the other, legally or, or otherwise. Um, so, so that's not going to change. The only hope lies in the federal government. Um, with, with Trump, with uh, the Republican majority, and with, um, with the, uh, the Supreme Court, which might overrule, forcibly overrule, a lot of these draconian laws in those types of places and enact, let's say, national reciprocity, which is something that's been discussed for a long time, meaning if you have a permit in one state, you can carry anywhere. So, so what's, what's happening with that? Why is that? I've, I've heard about that. Why has that not gone for a vote yet? It, it lost traction at a certain point. It was voted on in, in Congress, I believe, but then it didn't make it to the Senate. It, it just, uh, it was talked about early in Trump's presidency, but then people kind of just forgot about it. I'm not sure why. Uh, I'm sure there's reasons for it, but uh, I hope that, that that would be something which could really save a lot of Jewish lives. Um, because if there was national reciprocity, then, uh, you know, uh, somebody could have a, a permit in any state. Let's say you get a, a permit, a carry permit from Pennsylvania, which is, uh, not hard at all to obtain. And Even if you're an out-of-state resident? Uh, well, I'm not sure exactly what the intricacies of the law were. I know Virginia was... gives to out-of-state people. So, I mean, again, like, I mean, I'm, you know, I, I'm a resident of one state, and I have uh, permits from several other states, mm-hmm. which, and then you have reciprocity on top of that. So, but that's the current system. But uh, the way that they were discussing doing it in, in this national reciprocity law, um, which, which now has stalled, um, was if you have a permit from anywhere, like a driver's license. So if, if you have a driver's license from Pennsylvania, you can drive into New York City. So the same right. thing, if you had a carry permit, you could drive into New York City with it. So um, that would have saved a lot of Jewish lives, because that would mean that people could carry their, their, their handguns with them wherever they go. Um, so that is maybe a ray of hope, if the federal government can force that through somehow, or the Supreme Court can, can enact that, or, or if the Supreme Court can overturn the local regulations against guns in some of these places like New Jersey and New York City. Um, but we have yet to see what's going to happen in regards to that. Uh, now, back to your first question in reference to have Jews woken up since these uh, latest attacks. 
And the answer is yes and no. Uh, a lot of people have. Uh, after, As I mentioned, after Pittsburgh, many, many people woke up and said, hey, we need to get guns, we need to start carrying. Um, who never thought about that before because they were so comfortable. Um, so there has been an awakening. And then after Poway, even more people. And then in the past you know, day, I've been inundated with a whole bunch of requests for training from even more people, specifically from the New York and New Jersey area because it, it hit close to home. And they realize that this is urgent. But unfortunately, there's still so many Jews who, who still at this point um, are trying to resist the idea that we need guns for self-defense. And that is really unfortunate that they're being so stubborn because at the end of the day, they're going to have to come around to it one way or the other because it's either fight or perish. And uh, they want to still live in the fantasy that we live in the 1950s um, where we don't have to lock our doors at night and, and everybody you know, loves everybody else and it's a totally peaceful world. And uh, that's just not the reality anymore, especially for Jews. Uh, this is a, a very dangerous time that we live in, and uh, they're going to have to wake up. They're going to have to accept the reality that we're going to have to get on the train one way or the other. Um, and those who won't accept that reality, who are stubborn, unfortunately, are going to perish. Um, so I hope that they wake up Definitely. sooner rather than later. But uh, we have yet to see uh, where things go. See, I actually did a poll on my Twitter today, and I asked Jews if they feel safe in America right now. I was surprised. 56% said yes. And, I mean, I guess maybe they're not all in New York City, but things... In I, I would assume that most Jews in the New York area right now would probably be feeling rather unsafe. I mean, that's my assumption. And right, and then I asked, I asked yeah. another question here. Um, you know, in the aftermath of the Jersey City shooting, which specifically targeted Jews... Should Jews be arming themselves with guns? 73% said yes, 13% said no, and 14% were unsure. So I think that's a, like a growing trend. People are getting comfortable with the idea that it's time for them to defend themselves with the guns. So I, I see a lot of hope in that. Um, it, it shows that uh, people are moving in the right direction. Because I bet you if you did that poll you know, three years ago, the results would have been very different, probably totally inverse. That 73% would probably be anti-gun, you know, against Jews getting guns for self-defense. Mm -hmm. um, so so we're, we're certainly seeing, as a result of, of these things that uh, uh, you're, you're describing, we're certainly seeing a move in the right direction. There's improvement, um, but it's just so sad that it takes incidents like these to wake people up. It, it didn't have to be that way. They could have just seen the writing on the wall beforehand and gotten armed and gotten trained then, instead of, you know, scramming for, for guns now, you know, in, in, in a panic uh, out of fear for their lives. Um, so, so that is unfortunate, but, but that is human nature very often where people just won't take steps until you know, the bucket of cold water hits them in the face. Right. And regarding your training, um, what, you were a sharpshooter, right? I was a marksman, called a kalai in Hebrew, a marksman, sharpshooter. That's, I suppose, the proper translation into, into English. In, in the U.S. military, the equivalent would be designated marksman. Right. So how many years of experience do you have with firearms? Um, well, between my service in the military and volunteering in the police and uh, all the years that I've been training people, um, upwards of, uh, I would say, close to 20 years, 18 wow. to 20 years. Wow. That's yeah. a long time. Yeah, so it is a long time. 
what are you do you have any tips for safe and responsible firearm ownership specifically for for the jewish community there are a lot of children a lot of families have children and you know people are uncomfortable with the idea of having guns around the family but people are starting to open up to it so what do you think one should do to stay safe with children with firearms sure well first of all i'm a parent myself right i have three young kids at home and so this is something that's very important for me uh, specifically, and uh, I have a lot of firearms, um, and I carry a firearm, so I've obviously had to address this issue, and uh, the answer is very simple. Um, whenever you're home with your kids, your firearms need to stay unloaded and locked in the safe, unless you have your, your personal pistol should be on you at all times until when you get home, uh, you should unload it and put it in a safe and lock it. And don't let your kids have access to firearms uh, unless, you know, whenever the age comes when you want to teach your kids how to shoot, um, you know, safely at, at the range. Uh, but up till that point, you know, kids should be kept away from firearms. Don't leave firearms hanging around. Uh, don't keep your, your, your weapon loaded if it's not uh, on you. Um, and just be very, very safe. Teach the kids from an early age proper gun safety handling. You know, the NRA has uh, the Eddie Eagle program where they, they teach children what to do if you, if you find a firearm, you know, don't touch it, tell an adult. Um, and it's very important to, to make sure to insist on proper firearm safety rules because that's how we all stay safe. That, that's what avoids unfortunate, unfortunate incidents that have happened many times in America where kids find a gun, they get their hands on a gun, and, you know, they, they pull the trigger and... Uh, God forbid, a, a disaster happens. Um, another thing, a very important um, thing that people can do uh, to avoid any kind of negligent discharges, which is the term we, we use for accidental shootings, um, is to make sure when you're carrying a firearm, carry your handgun, never to have a round in the chamber, meaning a bullet in the barrel, right. which is the weapon is ready to fire. So always have the weapon with a loaded magazine, but an empty chamber. So you actually have to cock the weapon. You have to chamber around. You have to do an action to make it ready to fire. And it's very likely that a small child will not have the strength in their hand to rack back the slide, meaning, you know, pull back uh, the mechanism of the handgun to be able to do that. And it, cause it, but it's natural for them to pull on a trigger. And if the weapon is ready to fire, they pull on the trigger and, and the bullet comes out and they fire. And that's how the majority of accidental shootings happen, by a child getting their hand on, on the, their mother's uh, gun from her purse or, the, you know, get their, their father's handgun that he just put on the nightstand or something, and they just pull the trigger, and then an accident happens. So it's very important to always carry your weapon um, with an empty chamber. Right. And in a nutshell, can you tell us about the four basic rules of firearm safety? Sure. So there's uh, the, uh, the NRA uh, has established uh, several uh, rules of firearm safety. So it's um, basically always treat every weapon as if it's loaded. That's really essential, even if you know that your weapon is not loaded, you always treat it with the same respect that you would uh, a loaded firearm. Unfortunately, all too many people don't do that, and that's what causes uh, negligent shootings. Right. Um, keep your weapon always pointed in a safe direction, um, and that is usually down at the ground or uh, up at the sky. could be in certain circumstances, but usually it's just kept uh, pointed down, certainly not pointing it at any person. Um, <clears throat> never point a firearm at uh, anyone or anything you don't intend to shoot um, or don't intend to destroy. That could be a person or animal. Um, only point a weapon if you intend to destroy the, the object. Um, and know your, uh, know your target and, uh, and what's behind it. Uh, if you're going to shoot, don't just shoot randomly in, into the woods not knowing there's a house 
behind there, you know, because bullets do travel very far, um, and making sure that that doesn't, uh, you don't accidentally kill people. There's other firearm safety rules as well uh, that we all have to adhere to. Always wear eye and ear protection. Uh, don't shoot at hard objects, which uh, bullets can ricochet off of. Um, what we call trigger discipline, keeping your finger off the trigger at all times until you're ready to, to fire. Um, there, there's a variety of, of firearm safety rules. It's not just the, the four that are given by the NRA. There's, there's a lot that goes into it, but it's essential to be safe with your firearm. And another thing I have to say, get trained before you buy a firearm. Don't just go to the store and buy a gun and then figure you're going to learn firearm safety afterwards. First get trained. And only once you know how to use the weapon, then go to the store and buy the weapon. You, by that time, you'll probably have a, a pretty good idea of what kind of a weapon works for you as well. Right. And what kind of weapons do you recommend for first-time buyers? So, um, first of all, I mean, it depends on if you're looking for a long gun, meaning a rifle or a shotgun or a handgun. Most people, uh, for defense, buy handguns. Um, I tell people you really can't go wrong with a Glock. The Glock pistols, the Glock 17 or the Glock 19, they're just... Very, very simple. Um, what do you carry? They're accurate. They're what? What do you carry? I carry a Glock 19. Okay. Uh, so they're, that's the standard uh, pistol of the uh, Israel Defense Forces and the Israeli police and also many, many militaries and police departments across the world. Security services use them. Uh, and they're very, very rugged. They almost never jam. You don't have to clean them as much as, as you do other weapons. Uh, and, and again, just very simple mechanism. There's, there's not a lot that goes into it. So those are, those are great. Um, but again, every person has something that, that, that fits them. Some people have larger hands. Some people have smaller hands. Some people um, you know, prefer revolvers over semi-automatic pistols. There's really a, there's a variety of, of things out there. Um, and just know what's right for you. And then in terms of long guns, a lot of people have long guns as well. Uh, AR-15 is probably the number one uh, go-to rifle on the market today just again for the same reason as the glock um, it's just very simple to use it's got almost no recoil very reliable very accurate high capacity um, light ease of use um, and that's why militaries and police departments all around the world use them and that's why a lot of american civilians like ar-15s and i love them um, so those are probably your standard your two standard firearms your ar-15 or your m4 is pretty common today, or, and uh, the Glock 19, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's what's right for everybody. Some people like Uzis, you know, some people like tactical shotguns, some people like AKs or Galils. It's just there's a lot out there on the market. Right, when we, uh, when we did the training course, you did a lot of uh, talking about shotguns, and you also, you mentioned that that's a very good gun for home defense. Absolutely, yeah, shotguns are great for home defense, um, because they, uh, you don't really need to aim them the way you would a rifle because they uh, they shoot multiple projectiles as opposed to one projectile so if it's the middle of the night and you're you're, you're kind of confused just woke up from your sleep and you don't see very well it's dark you fire a shotgun it fires off buckshot which is the defensive ammo that you'd use fires off multiple pellets and, and it, it, it spreads so uh, you'd be able to hit a target much easier than you would with a rifle and also it's got a lot of power Excuse me. <clears throat> it's got a lot of power, so you can uh, it can uh, stop a, an attacker easier than with a uh, smaller caliber weapon. And uh, they're also very simple to use. You know, pump action shotguns. You know, they're very very reliable and they're not not expensive. So shotguns are, are very good for home defense. Also, they don't uh, over penetrate walls. A lot of walls in America are made of sheetrock, drywall, 
and a, an AR-15 round, a 556 uh, bullet would penetrate quite a few layers of that, whereas um, buckshot will not penetrate as much. I'm not saying it's not going to penetrate at all, but it will not penetrate to the same degree, which uh, basically is a, a safety advantage because you're not necessarily going to endanger the whole neighborhood by firing indoors. You're not necessarily going to accidentally kill the old lady three doors down uh, by shooting through drywall uh, with, with a shotgun, whereas with a, with a lot of rifles you might. So that's, that's an advantage. Um, but again, there's, there's, there's a lot of options out there. Wow. And uh, on the business side of things, uh, just a couple of quick questions. Number one, um, when you're running these courses, where do they take place? How long do they take? Uh, give us a little bit more information about that. Right. So um, we have uh, our facility in northeast Pennsylvania in Honesdale, uh, where we run our courses for the northeast. Um, and they, they're, they're full-day courses from approximately 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Some of them take even longer than that. I believe when you came, it was... It was even a longer course than that. Um, and uh, about half the, half the day is in the classroom, learning theory and dry fire. And then after a lunch break, we do the live fire out on the range. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also, in the wintertime, run courses in Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona, out in the desert. Um, and then also recently in Tampa, Florida. So uh, we cover three major areas of the country. So we've got the northeast, we've got the southeast, and also the southwest. So in, in Arizona, we get a lot of people coming from L.A., San Diego, Las Vegas. And then uh, in Tampa, a lot of people from Miami and Atlanta. Right. So uh, we're able to, to basically offer this training to people in a large percentage of the country. Maybe not everywhere. We're not in the Pacific Northwest. We're not in the Midwest. We're not in Alaska. But uh, we try to cover as much territory as we can. Yeah, and I love the fact that you're what you're doing is something that's, you know, obviously – that's what your job is. That's what you do for you, right. you know, to make a living. But you're also doing something with a mission and a purpose, and you're trying to help the world become a better place. Absolutely. You know, it, it gives me a lot of satisfaction to know that my career is not just a way of earning a living. It's also making people safe. And, uh, you know, it, it gives me a lot of meaning in life and uh, puts a smile on my face and, and makes me very enthusiastic about the work I do because I know that it's, uh, it's saving people's lives. And uh, whenever I have clients who call me and, and they, they thank me for the training that, uh, that I gave them when they came to a course you know, three or four years ago and they've been carrying their concealed firearms to synagogue and, and, and securing their community against threats and, and just knowing that I'm responsible for that, for making those communities secure, um, it, it gives me a tremendous amount of satisfaction. Right, and, and uh, also on the business side of things, what kind of advice would you give to somebody who's going into business, somebody who's starting something, or somebody who's already in business? Uh, tip for success? You got to do something you love. You know, I uh, I love guns. You know, what can I tell you? It's something that I've been I've been into since I'm a teenager, and uh, it, it's something that I'm I'm good at. And if I was doing something that I didn't enjoy and something that I wasn't naturally good at, I don't think I'd be successful. If I tried to uh, be an accountant. I would be a terrible accountant. If I tried to be a doctor, I'd be a terrible doctor. You know, but uh, I love firearms and I, I love training people. And that's what makes me uh, a great instructor. People are, are very satisfied because they see that my heart's into it. And right. I think it's the same in any profession. 
Um, if your heart is into it, if you love what you do, you're going to be successful. If you hate your job, find another one. That's a great tip. Absolutely. Is there anything else I should be asking you? Anything I missed? Um, well, um, I mean, you're, uh, <laughs> you're the one asking the questions. But um, I just hope that all the people that are out there listening realize that uh, we really do live in, in some very dangerous times. And uh, even if it hasn't hit your community yet, uh, there's no telling how much longer till the day when it does. And I'm not trying to fearmonger here. I'm just trying to be realistic. And I want everyone to think about that and, uh, and think about their personal safety and realize that it is really important to be armed and to be prepared, even if you aren't necessarily facing a clear and present danger this minute. You know, the motto I use is it's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. That's a great, great motto. I agree. Okay. Um, two more questions, if it's okay. Sure. Number one, I just would like to do something funky at the end of the episode. If you could have a coffee, beer, cigar with anybody in the world, anybody throughout history, alive or dead, who would it be? Wow. Wow, that is a... Uh... That is a great question. Well, uh, the first person who comes to mind is the gun guru, Jeff Cooper, who passed away uh, about uh, 15 or 20 years ago. And uh, I'm a big fan of his writings. Never heard and, of him. Uh, well, you should look into him. He was, uh, he was a popular writer. Uh, he wrote for Guns and Ammo, I believe, and some other uh, publications. Wrote a whole bunch of books on the topics of, uh, of shooting. and Fascinating stuff. I don't necessarily agree with everything he wrote, but... Uh, he would be someone that I would uh, love to sit down for coffee with. And um, I can also think of Rabbi Mir Kahana. He is somebody that uh, I have a lot of respect for, and uh, I think that he was very, very instrumental in uh, getting Jews to protect themselves uh, in America when there was waves of anti-Semitism in the 1960s and 70s and, and fighting for Soviet Jewry. So I would love to sit down and have a, have a beer or coffee with him. Okay. And for the last question, where can people find you? How do people get in touch with you? Is there a website, email, phone number, address? Sure. So the easiest way to do it is to go to our website, which is www.cherevgidon.com. And for those of you who are not uh, familiar with Hebrew pronunciations and have trouble pronouncing the guttural cha, uh, that is C H e r e v g i d o n dot com so herev gidon dot com and uh we've got all of uh, all of our in, in, info on the website there's info about courses info about what we do uh the different options and the different locations and if you have any questions you can shoot us an email through there and we'll be happy to answer you okay and uh i know it's very late at night where you are right now you have a course tomorrow morning at 7:30 you said I do, I do, first thing in the morning. At this time of year, we have to start early because it gets, it gets dark so early. Right. So we have, to max, we have to squeeze out every bit of daylight because by the time the sun goes down, because you know, we're shooting outdoors, yeah. and once the sun goes down, it's pitch black, we can't shoot anymore. So, I mean, there's, there's night shooting courses, which is a different subject altogether, but for the average person, that's not really what we do for the most part. So when the sun goes down, it's over. So we've got we to gotta start really nice and early. Right. Okay. So good luck with that. Get some sleep. Thank you. And I just want to bless you for, you know, I want to thank you, number one, for what you're doing for the community and for the world. You are trying to make the world a safer and better place. So God bless you for that. And I also hope that people will take you up on 
your training. I remember you once told me like it doesn't even matter who people go to. I don't care if they come to me. Of course, I'd let, you know you'd love if they came to you. But just the main thing is get armed, get trained, and so I hope people do do that. But I also hope we should never need your services. Uh, not yours. We should never need anybody to have to stop any of these terrible tragedies from happening. We hope the world will become a better, finer, safer, and kinder place. Oh, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. You know, um, I mean, I carry my weapon with me every day, everywhere I go. And, and thank God up till now I haven't had to use it. And I hope for the rest of my life it stays that way, where I won't need to ever draw my weapon in anger. Amen. Um, and I, and I hope the same thing for everyone else. But, but again, I'd rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it. And, um, you know, honestly, it was, it was an honor having you out at the facility and, and, and training you and having you meet the, uh, some of, one of my instructors and meeting the clients. And um, I hope to see you again there sometime. Yeah, I hope to be back. It was a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, I guess we'll do it again when I'm back in the States. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's great talking to you, and I'm so happy to be on the show. Thank you so, so much. Really appreciate it. And God bless you. Have a good night. Same to you. Take care. I hope you all enjoyed that interview. And if you need any more information, you can check out Yonatan and his website in the link below. And now I want to tell you about something that I found to be very helpful. There's a wonderful app called Acorns. Acorns helps you save money in the background. You don't even know what's happening. Basically, I work hard for my money and I have a lot of expenses. So at the end of the month, a lot of money is going straight out the door. Rent, food, transportation, all sorts of stuff. But there's a way that you can save money and it's not hard. Through Acorns, this is an app that you merge with your bank accounts. You can merge it with your credit cards. And what it does is you can set up a recurring fee. So let's say every week you want to save 25 bucks. Acorns will automatically go into your bank account, take out that $25 and invest it in a savings account for you. Additionally, they can do roundups on your credit card. So let's say you buy something, you go to Starbucks, you buy a coffee for $4.59. The remaining 41 cents, what they will do is they'll round it up to $5. So they take 41 cents because your coffee only costed $4.59. The remaining 41 cents goes into your savings account. So slowly, you don't really feel it because they're taking a few cents at a time, but you're building yourself a saving account. I have started using Acorns in the past few weeks and I've already saved a couple hundred dollars. So that's wonderful. If you're like me and it's hard for you to save, perhaps you want to try out Acorns and it can help you start saving money today. I must tell you the app costs a dollar a month, but you will probably saving a lot more as you can slowly build yourself a savings account, maybe you want to save up for a house, a vacation, a car, buy a gift for someone you love, anything it is, you can save money with Acorns. So please, if you're thinking about signing up for this wonderful service, use my link also in the show notes, in the show description, and you will get a $5 bonus. I will get a bonus as well, and everybody wins. Lastly, before you go, please like this show Subscribe to the show. Tell your friends about it. Leave us a wonderful review. If you like the show, please leave us a five-star review. Leave us a nice comment. Subscribe on YouTube. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, at You Are Not A Goat. You can also follow my personal pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Chusidel, that's C-H-U-S-I-D-E-L. And you can subscribe to my awesome YouTube channel, 
We have wonderful travel videos coming up all the time. So check that stuff out. I look forward to seeing you next week, hopefully with better news and a wonderful guest. Have a wonderful week. I'm out. You are not a goat. The podcast for you.